This is a Clark University podcast. RFU contains grown-up themes and occasional coarse language when they get carried away. Please take care while listening. You never close your eyes. No, I'm starting it. (laughs) I don't know the lyrics. Okay. You know them? (laughs) I know all the lyrics. You never close your eyes. You can't sing together on a Zoom. When I kiss. It's a good line for life. Your lips. Hi, professors and RFU listeners. This is Jasper Muse, uh, Clark University alum of 2013, graduate of the music program and communications and culture program. Recommended for you this week is the film Top Gun Maverick from 2022, made in the U.S. and directed by Joseph Kaczynski. Technical marvel, exciting. I felt very propagandized. But looking back at it, I feel like the movie is very similar to Tom Cruise as a person, where it has this earnest veneer, but underneath there's something very uncanny. The original Top Gun is very of its time, super 80s. But Top Gun Maverick feels neither contemporary or like a retro homage. It does feel like a slightly retro homage, but it doesn't get it right. It's a very out-of-time, out-of-history movie. It's not like a typical Americana nostalgia. It's, it's, it's something worse. It's, it's a nostalgia of a 1980s nostalgia for the 1950s. There's just a lot to talk about. I hope you guys enjoy it, and I'm really looking forward to hearing your call signs. Thanks. This. This. This is recommended for you. For you. For you. A podcast where Clark University Screen Studies professors watch and discuss films suggested by the 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 community. Welcome to RFU. <laughs> RFU. Recommended for you. <laughs> Welcome to the hard deck at Clark University. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm Hugh Mannon. Do your call sign. I'm Hugh Mannon, aka Doorlock. This is Rox Sommer, a.k.a. Calico. This is Soren Sorensen, a.k.a. Wing Smoke. <laughs> or Chatterbox. That what? was the alternative. <laughs> I tried to tell Rachel that, that we need to come up with call signs for the podcast, and she, having ni- seen neither of the Top Gun movies, refusing to see them because of the number of men, um, was like, what are call signs? And I'm like, they're reason. like our... They're, there are, you know, there are drag queen names. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Sure. Yeah. In case you can't tell, we're here to talk about Top Gun Maverick. It is nominated for six Academy Awards. It is directed by Joseph Kaczynski. It's the sequel to Tony Scott's 1986 Top Gun. It stars the returning Tom Cruise as Pete Maverick Mitchell, who now later in life is still working, but as a test pilot for some military program that's in the process of being scrapped in favor of drones. His career, always on the brink of disaster, is saved by longtime rival turned friend Iceman, Iceman uh, Val Kilmer, uh, who now an admiral brings Maverick back to Top Gun School where they first met decades before. In order to train a team of young alums for a high-risk mission, Maverick importantly shows up thinking one, he will be operating this mission rather than simply teaching it, and two, not realizing that Nick Rooster Bradshaw, played by Miles Teller, a.k.a. the son of his former, now deceased since the first movie, Wingman Goose, would be one of his pupils. There is also much rivalry between Rooster and the others. But when the time comes, Maverick does end up doing the run himself and chooses Rooster 
as his wingman. All right. I got to get one thing out and then I'll shut up for a minute. But this, the song, Danger Zone, the Kenny Loggins song, right? Which, so I, I should say, am I the only one in this group that saw this at the theater? Possibly. Yes. Yeah, I don't remember a ton about it. But the thing that really is in my brain is Kenny Loggins' song, Danger Zone. And I watched this with the subtitles on, and I just learned that I had been getting the lyrics wrong to this song since 1987. Here's what I thought the lyrics were, and you're not going to even believe this, but here's what I thought the lyrics were. Thank you. I went through the danger zone, right into the danger zone. Yeah. So it's like this existential loop where you're going yeah. through the danger zone into the danger zone. <laughs> so that's all I have to say. Good night, folks. <laughs> We're doing this as part of our little mini series on Academy Award nominees. I, I went into this with a sort of idea that it would, in some uh, very direct way, replicate the pleasures of the first film. And that's exactly what it did. Oof, so like, yes. I, I didn't mm-hmm. feel I was not let down by this at all. And it's in a, in some sense exactly what I thought it was going to be, and wh- and what that is is a really action packed film <laughs> that in certain sequences completely has you on the edge of your seat, sort of built out with a bunch of scenes that are written for like a six year old. Like anybody <laughs> could understand this film. Like the dialogue in this film, the number of times they repeat <laughs> that they're going to have to like. That there's like uh, an unsanctioned uranium enrichment plan built in violation of NATO. Like you hear that three separate times yeah. as if you as if you're simply not getting it. And I'm like, no, I got it. And and that's kind of what I like about the film. Like there's a lot of really dumb stuff in this, but I have no problem with that. I really just don't. Yeah. Um, because because what that exists to do is to is to sort of buoy up these ridiculous action sequences which are partly filmed in real planes and i don't know how you could you'd have to be without a pulse to not be excited by those scenes and i don't say that lightly because i'm just generally not excited by that kind of stuff because most (laughs) of it's cgi today but this was really exciting to watch like even at my computer i was like on the edge of my seat for this cool yeah i um I, I don't know. That was all very well said, and, and you're correct that it kind of it did replicate the, you know the pleasures of the first film right down to the homoerotic sporting event on the beach, um, and uh, with this time with one woman, uh, female presenting person involved. Um, but but it was, you know, this is a, I, I don't know. It's it's really they're they're trying really diff, really hard in this movie to um, recreate not only the the action or the, the the set pieces of the first film and the kind of feelings involved in the first one the drama and the suspense of the first one and the action of the first one um but also the the way we think about naval aviation as it fits into warfare um back in the 80s this is th- now 36 years ago and they're so they they're at great pains to create this this mission that these guys have to fly that these pilots have to fly that's 
almost impossible to imagine. I mean, in, in some ways, and, and right down to the, the way that they're going to destroy this um, uranium uranium enrichment facility uh, is is that there's a um, and, and it's always it's always in the uh, and the, the ventilation right. It's like this reminded me of the Death Star in some way. Like there's oh, a ventilation. There's, so there's a ventilation shaft that's open, and so but and it was just like wow, okay, like like I'm, I'm going along for this ride, but at the same time. It it really does in some way misunderstand the like what warfare is now, um and and his his entire uh, uh, Maverick's entire raise on death in the beginning of the film is like I'm gonna save these people's jobs by doing by going <laughs> Mach ten when it's like well, I guess if we're gonna do all of this if war is like the weather if we have to do all of this then why having manned pilots at all, ha- having manned missions at all is really farcical and it's essentially already a, a thing of the past. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I don't know how I felt about like the, yes, they're shot really well and they're and and they're filmed really well, but it almost it might as well have been a period piece. I mean, in in Tony Scott's another Tony Scott film, Crimson Tide, really I think does a really good job of looking at the nature of the enemy in the nuclear age is war itself. They say in that film, and that's actually that's the case in this film. But they don't really they're they're pretending like dogfighting is really like that's still the the the, the greatest and best use of the of the men and women who fight in our military. Is it the is it the case that I think I've got this right because they never identify who the enemy is. So it's no. a rogue state that has this extremely well defended um, underground uranium enrichment plant. So like that doesn't make a ton of sense. Like a rogue state doesn't have the infrastructure to set up something that elaborate. And so they just never show it's never Russia. It's never China. It's never North Korea. It's just these faceless jet pilots yeah. in black helmets yeah. that makes it even more like star wars mm-hmm. right because they yeah. end up looking like they're imperial the, they're whatever the bad with guys. the black right. helmets yeah. Yeah. and so it's just never named and it kind of feels like this weird effort to be pc about who the enemy is because they know this film's going to circulate globally and they don't want to yeah. offend anybody who's potentially going to go see it elsewhere but i feel like it was a little bit similar to the original in that way and that like when you think about like military films there are some that are very specifically being made about either contemporary or near recent or long past, you know, military conflicts. Like historical fiction broadly or something. Yeah. Like and it's a Vietnam film or it's a World War II film or, you know, it's a Korean War film. So there's these others that I think do keep the enemy nameless. And that doesn't mean that it's not bound. They're not also bound up in like American ideology around the military, Mm -hmm. but it's a much more like abstracted version rather than an investment and a solicitation of like affective investments in particular world conflicts. Do any of them die? None of them die, right? I mean, not a single American loses their life in this movie. And it's just kind of like, it's it's more it's even more of a recruitment video than the first one is. I mean, it's sort of it's it, for naval naval aviators. It, there must be this long waiting list to become a naval aviator after these yeah. this film. GI <laughs> Jane is also a Navy SEALs film. I don't like. Is there something about Navy movies being sure <laughs> less? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's something. Yeah, there is. There's something really. I, I don't know. Cinematic about it. I, but I guess if you asked the average sort of idiot 11 year old which is what i was in 1986 like what top gun was about i would have said it was about the air force i mean i I probably didn't you know i didn't really truly understand what an aircraft carrier was and what a naval aviator did and and how that's a different totally different branch than the united states air force but 
but I, I don't know. I, I but the, the the ventilation shaft thing was a bit too much for me, and and I don't know anything about. This will surprise you to learn that I don't know anything about surface to air missiles. But um, I, I thought maybe putting some surface to air missiles like in and around that weak point instead of like in <laughs> in these high points that can't. You know, right. they'll never fly a jet this far, this low down or whatever. It was just kind of I don't know. But but that all aside, yes, it was it was extremely thrilling. And by the end, it was one of those movies that I didn't look at it. I didn't check the time and say like, oh, there's only, you know, there's 50 minutes left in this movie. I was like psyched that there was 45 or 50 minutes left in this movie. So I think like the, the you're right. All of the sort of earthbound scenes are like the, the, the scenes that are just on the ground and about his social life are are deadly dull to me. Um, and oh. I really liked I liked all the See, action this... and suspense and stuff. Well, yeah. So let's let's talk about it. This is it. what I'm talking about. Like I, I uh, well, no, I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have any like action fun, but that just is not my it's investment not, yeah. in these movies. Yeah, yeah. The, the scenes in the air that are the most compelling or to the extent that they are compelling are because of my investments and the emotional relationships between the men which was like true for the first movie and true here mm, okay. i realized only on second watching how much of the film like emotionally structurally uh echoes the first um so when we get introduced to this new crew <laughs> of pilots um is at this bar um maverick's there and he uh you know breaks Jennifer Connelly's rules and has to buy a round of drinks for the whole bar. Um, and, you know, and then like has his card declined maybe, or she's lying unclear, but in any case, he gets thrown out of the bar. Literally like he's sitting yeah, at the bar, they, like, throw three, him three of like, these, out. three of these guys who he's been watching. Cause he knows they're like his future pupils come pick him up per her request and throw him out in the sand. And, and so he and then the next morning he shows up and he's teacher and they're all like slinked down in their chairs. Oh, shit. It is the same thing. It is the same thing as in the first movie, which begins with him romantically propositioning a woman at a bar who turns out to be his teacher the next right, day. Right. Oh, yeah. And then how it's able to evoke, you know, so this whole, you know, tortured past tension familial daddy stuff with with goose and rooster and maverick um like it's it's certainly heavy-handed in certain ways such that like we open and close with like his little almost shrine <laughs> to goose um with the photos in in his um own personal hangar what whatever that space was <laughs> but like when miles teller walks in as Rooster, like, take my breath away. Scratch-up! Is that you? A, because, like, uncanny resemblance yeah. to his father, yeah. Anthony Edwards, except hot. And I and I say that because, <laughs> oh, like, ow, because, of, because yeah. of how it's coded. How dare you besmirch no, the no, good name watch, of Anthony Edwards? Watch the first movie. <laughs> They're doing this thing where he's like, he's married, ladies. He's like the only one who wears a shirt in the volleyball scene. And so I'm saying it's like even deliberate on the part of the first movie to be like, he is the homely yeah. sidekick. Married to Meg and Ryan. And now, married to <laughs> Meg mean, Ryan. Really, yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't hold. It, that's where you're, this, this loses a little bit. Of <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Miles Teller walks in and you know who he is. Yeah. Like, you know, you know. And then, and then before long, 
he's like at the piano playing great balls of fire and i'm already on the verge of tears you know what i was on the verge of tears too because are the are we ever gonna see a movie where someone in their mid-20s doesn't know fucking great balls of fire by jerry lee lewis none of our (laughs) students know this song this is not a famous song to them. This is the weird thing about the persistence of classic rock that gets really annoying yeah. in movies like this where you're just like that they wouldn't be doing that. I, whatever. The whole movie's fan service, so I shouldn't I shouldn't you know nitpick about yeah, why, that, but I certainly wasn't emotionally attached to it. I don't know. You, we're criticizing Top Gun Maverick well, for the realism of the song choice, like uh, I mean, what are we? What are we? What are we doing here? If not nitpicking, like what? I mean, I, I'm wondering, like what? What this generation of students would would feel watching this film and looking up Jerry Lee Lewis's charmed life. Part of the paratext of this film, him coming in, him playing that song. They don't even need the flashback, but they have it there for those who like don't remember. Did you like the flashback? The be honest. Were you happy to see the flashback? No, no, I don't. I don't think it was, it was necessary. necessary but I thought, but I, because I was already like it already did it. Like yeah. I already knew. Yeah. But I also thought it did it relatively selectively, and they could have just done the flashback, but that they largely let us live in the contemporary playing of the song yeah. with only like the briefest glimpse. I thought was done very effectively. Yeah. You know, the thing that it remind the thing your experience rocks reminds me of so much is the the relation between Star Wars Episode Four and the first what's the first J.J. Abrams Force Star Awakens. Wars? Yeah, it's Force Service. Awakens. Right, it's the so, same movie, and right? real it's the same movie, yeah. but it doesn't. Yeah, it still makes the you know if you're if you're a fan of the first movie, it's still unless you're just a really like deeply <laughs> sad person like it still makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck even though you're you're looking at it realizing that it's the exact same movie and i kind of get that sense with this but I, but i also want to say like there's an element to this that hits me also pleasurably but not for reasons of echoing the original film so much as just the the kind of ham-fisted nature yeah. of of the tropes and the cliches. It's, just, and it's so an eighties movie. Just, right. I mean, it like feels like oh an eighties movie. Right? An, yeah. an eighties cartoon. Right. Yeah. So it's like that first scene where they've got that weird SR 71 looking high speed aircraft and they're talking about, and I still can't get over this. This mm. is maybe my favorite thing in the whole film. <laughs> I was laughing out loud because they're talking about shutting down this program. What? We've been ordered to stand down the scrap in the program. They say we fell short. The contract threshold is Mach 10. Mach 10 is supposed to be in two months. Today's test point is Mach 9. Well, that's not good enough. Says who? Admiral Kane. The drone ranger. He wants our budget for his unmanned program. He's on his way to kill the test and shut us down personally. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Tom Cruise, but we're going to have to shut down the program. All in person. Because we're only at Mach 9. And the Admiral wants Mach 10. He wants Mach 10? Let's give it to him. <laughs> That's how make, they make decisions in the Navy about, like, arguably a $200 billion aircraft. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can't quite make Mach 10, so it's a shutdown, folks. And I was dying 
Like it's that's that's cartoon logic. That's something out of a G.I. Joe comic book. I loved it. I was laughing because they like showed up in his hangar to meet him. Like that could have been a phone call. <laughs> oh, yeah, that could have yeah. been right, a text. Right. Yeah, Ed Harris's this... character, the the Admiral <laughs> character is like driving in and because he's early, he gets to witness Tom Cruise un- like unauthorizedly or unadvisedly taking this thing this this aircraft out and it's like he can't just pick up the phone and be like all right, shut the power off. Like, what, you know, he's the admiral. <laughs> Arrest him. Yeah, Arrest exactly. that man. Yeah, yeah. He, he steals like three airplanes in this movie. Like, and they're it's just, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah. truly, like, if you're going to nitpick the technicalities of this film, there's no sense in watching it because it's just a complete bizarre cartoonish fantasy. But again, I think there's something to be said for a bizarre cartoonish fantasy. Like, like this is the kind of thing I can get by when it's when when it's pitch perfect though. And this film just never misses. Like, every, it's so consistently hitting that note of of this kind of like you know, uh, uh, like dialogue for a six-year-old child. It's so consistently doing that that I'm just like, okay, great. And I, I guess like what I'm coming to terms with over the course of this podcast is that what I like in films is just films that are consistent to themselves. Films that are not like somehow like yeah. co-opted yeah, in yeah. 50 million directions and like divided up and, and focus group to death, but films that like sort of, no matter how dumb or ridiculous or pretentious or whatever, they just hold together. Yeah, and this one just God, it does like a well-built aircraft. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So, 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 so. uh, I mean, the other thing is like we're talking about like the the burden of a sequel, and in a way, it it is it's almost unprecedented the the work that this sequel had to do. Um, Not only because it's made you know thirty five plus years after the after the first film, but it also has like the idea of the future of the very act of going to a movie theater on its shoulders. Um, you know, people, there's this kind of idea of like every couple of years, there's like a, there's some, some rock band will come out and it's like this, these, these people are saving rock and roll. And it's like every, you know, every couple of years and it's always some horrendous band that has one album that's big and then they go away. Um, and there's some Norwegian band that's, that's taking, that's doing that right now. I don't know what, I can't remember what they're called. Has anybody heard about this? Is it, no, oh but God! It's t- they keep. You would hate you know, it. It's like the decline of the electric guitar. You would hate it. It was Greta Van Fleet a couple guitar. years ago, and now it's something. Greta else, Van right. Fleet. It's like, it's like yeah. these people are going to save rock and roll, and I think they're from Norway, um, inconceivably. And um, but but so there is. It it did also have this burden of like, well, if this fails, like what what could succeed, you know? And you think, okay, so and then it does this unbelievable business at the box office. Now it's nominated for all these Oscars, including Best Picture. Um, but there, there really is, you know, it is kind of unprecedented and, and how much of a flop this could have been or how much of a joke it could have been. And really like that they actually were able to, I'm trying not to say land that plane, but, um, you know, th- there it is. There it is. Uh, yeah. And, and they certainly sort of achieved what they set out to do. So is, is the, is the, is the kind of core of this is the, is the ethic at the center of this film, if you will, um, a, a commitment. And again, the people will say that Tom Cruise was the one behind this, but I don't believe that for a second. You know, the, this sort of desire to shoot a lot of stuff using not even, I would say, practical effects, but just no effects, right? So putting actors in real aircraft and flying around with little cameras attached to the uh, instrumentation board in front of them. Like that, the non-CG, there's a lot of CGI in this film, but nowhere near as much as is in a typical Marvel film or Star Wars no, film or no, anything like that, not. obviously. And it's so it it's like this anti-CGI ethic that I think is what wins the day. And that's that's there all over the place, though. So it's there in the casting of um, Val Kilmer as and I'm just going to say it, Iceman. Iceman. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I, I kind of like it better, Iceman. It's way better. But he, but the fact that he, you know, it was diagnosed with 
I, I guess, throat cancer, right? Or, or some form of cancer that made it impossible for him to speak. Yeah, and so they reconstructed his, his voice. His wife just says it's, ba- it's back or something, right? I mean, they don't. Yeah. 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 They don't specify. Yeah. Right. But, but so, you know, he's in the film and kind of shows in a very, like you just, you know, when you see a close up of him on camera, you think, my gosh, you know, he doesn't look like, he looks like Val Kilmer, but he's, he's aged tremendously. And in some ways, like that adds to the gravitas of the film, mm-hmm. you know, just in the same way that using real planes does. And I think the film sort of, you know, it, it wisely embraces that at a moment where every other force in the filmmaking universe is heading off in just exactly the opposite direction. So maybe there's like a lesson to be learned here. And that is that audiences want to see real shit. Like we want to actually see stuff that's stuff and that's not created digitally. Yeah. And I think that as part of the stuff they want to see um, is also the men's. <laughs> um, so I will say Good that like one repeated one repeated line throughout this movie um, that a variety of characters bounce back and forth with Maverick is, I don't like that look. I don't like that look, Mav. It's the only one I got. It's the only one I got. <laughs> And that's yeah. that's the like analog yeah. answer. That's like it. this is it. Yeah. And it also then and it's is Tom reflected. Cruise. I wish I could, I wish I could do that Cruise. too. It's the only one I got, and right. I'm devastatingly handsome. <laughs> it's also echoed in the dialogue of the of the younger men too, so that when Rooster shows up and he he sees his rival, and we have to know right away it's his rival. Mm-hmm. Like they don't get into shit talk yet. Actually, at first, it's along this line of looking. Um, and so he says, Hangman, you look good. He, there's a deliberate pause. <laughs> and then Hangman's like, well, I am good, Rooster. In fact, I'm too good to be true. Oh Which is to say, like, I know that there's like rumors <laughs> and gossip about like the, the drama at the studio around the homoeroticism of the first film. But like by this point, come 2022, yeah, they're, like, they're like all in. Yeah, they're like, yeah. we better we better have this yep. because that's what people are showing up. Like that's part <laughs> of it. This is right. what yeah. part this is what some of the and maybe this is how you get the box office. You get yep. like and this is what um you know, you know, this is what New Hollywood knew is that like in Star Wars, in Indiana Jones, in whatever, there was a range of like genre notes and a range of pleasures hit such that you weren't actually like aiming for like just one gaze, just one desire met, but many. And so there's this hangman rooster thing, but there's also this whole maverick rooster. And maybe you guys weren't there for this. Like this isn't the way you watched it, but I was so (laughs) fascinated by the maverick rooster, like dynamic, including that it like, it's not just what's plotted or what's said or unsaid between them, but like it's visual, it, like these things meet. So it meets in the sky. I thought one of the most fascinating action sequences was during the very extensive training, like montage when Maverick and Rooster like nosedive together and those like shot reverse shots of the two of them, like battling like working through what we don't even know at this point what exactly is going on as they like plummet to like their near deaths and we get this beautiful these beautiful exterior like wide shots of the planes double helix um dancing yeah, yeah. and they're like dancing it's like an avatar when the ponytails merge kind of yeah there's like, oh, this, i don't oh. super gross 
I just got the ick. I just got the ick. You made it gross. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I mean, look, we're talking about the Oscars here, so I'm just trying to, you know, keep it light. Yeah, tie it all together. Uh, (laughs) Literally. Keep it light. (laughs) Um, And, like, Maverick's asking, how long are we going to do this? What's your exit plan? And Rooster's like, I can go as long as you, and that's saying something. What are you talking about? Like, (laughs) is this movie about death? Is it about sex? Is it, like, about how we all want to have... What's the difference, honey? Like, I don't know if we want to, like, kill our our dads and have sex with our mothers so much as, like, we want to have sex with our dads, but we killed them? Like, <laughs> like is that... Whoa. <laughs> wow. Is that what's going on here? I don't know. It, honestly, you help me all that is going on and more. There's a scene in the film that's got this actual film aesthetic moment, and it's the scene between Maverick and Rooster after they crash land in the weird arctic wasteland and they're standing in this forest full of tall pine trees and it looks as though the film the film frame aspect ratio sort of shifts toward the center so that we get these black bars on each side of the screen and it's actually trees but if you didn't know any better you would think that they pulled some sort of like uh you know aspect ratio maneuver and what it reminds me of is the end of the searchers you know, the famous shot through the doorway at the end of the searchers. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's where they got the oh, idea. Definitely. But it's important that those two guys get the most radically aestheticized shot in the whole yeah. film. Yeah. And that in that whole sequence, the whole thing when they hit the ground and they catch up with one another, which is really it happens really quickly. Yeah. Like yeah. Tom Cruise is like, oh, yeah, there's a there's a uh, <laughs> well, what do you call it? Parachute run- over there. I'm going to run toward it. And he's there in like two seconds. Well, Tom Cruise can run so fast. Yeah, right? he's a really fast runner. That's right. true, yeah. <laughs> like we see him running really freaking fast in this film. And so then they have this yeah. kind of little moment and, and they talk to one another in this really kind way and it, and they bond and then they go find a MIG or whatever the hell it is and fly it out of there. What the hell? What are you doing here? What am I doing you here? You I took that missile so you could be down here with me. You should be back on the carrier by now. I saved your life. I saved your life. That's the whole point. What the hell were you even thinking? You told me not to think. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It's exactly what you said. This film completely owns what would have been subtext as text. Yeah, it's just text now. Yeah. I didn't dare to ask myself if there would be another volleyball scene, <laughs> but but there is, and it's a beach football scene. And honestly, I watched them back to back yesterday. And this one is better. Like, it, it, it is so good. Bruce Weber is this, like, queer photographer who in the 80s was known for, like, his Calvin Klein ads and also doing a lot of things for GQ um, and bringing this, like, homoerotic aesthetic to, like, the mainstream and was a direct reference for the volleyball scene. And in the interim, become famous for doing the Abercrombie campaign to, like, rethink that corporation, which was all, like, beach shirtless jeans. And that's what we have now. So it's this weird 2002, but in 2022 aesthetic, edited to, like, a contemporary song, I Ain't Worried, by One Republic. Catchy number. (laughs) Yeah, it was catchy. It was fun. It was upbeat. (laughs) I also thought it was shot better because we actually have some sort of attempt at a POV, whereas the first one, if you watch it, you're like who are we with like we're just among this chaos there's technically an audience of men watching but they're often quite passive and they're out of focus it's not from them and it doesn't fit 
really the story, except that he like is going to be late for his date because he keeps playing with his guy friends. And here he very deliberately leaves the game early so that he can like hook up with Jennifer Connelly, who we are sutured into her POV at times as she watches them play. But I will say the most like, whoa moment of the whole thing is this, there's this dramatic slow motion shot, which is when Rooster helps Maverick up after he's fallen. I When I saw in the theaters, I was like, is anyone seeing what I'm seeing? Well, there's so there's this moment in the in the script uh, and in that sequence, just sort of at the level of dialogue, where they say this thing that really makes absolutely no sense as text, but makes perfect sense as subtext sort of burbling to the surface. And it's when they say that the, the game of football that they're playing is both offense and defense at the same time. What, what the hell does that mean? Bisexuality. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, Rox was sitting on my shoulder when I was watching. <laughs> absolutely. The drummer in my band in high school, at, at the age of 15 or whatever, was so huge that they wanted him for the varsity team, and he played both ways, which was the phrase <laughs> yeah. that you used if you played both offense and defense. And so the, here you have a game that really does, it's not playable. Like, you can't play offense and defense. Like you can't have two teams going both ways on the football field at the same time. But that's what they yeah, say they're doing. Yeah. And it's yeah. explicit, yeah. like it's right there. Film professors consider sports. <laughs> yeah, right. Again, it's. I, I think it was something that was so unsubtle. Like this is this is telling us that it's homoerotic in it's a way. Telling us exactly <laughs> what it's doing. I don't know what no it question. has to do with Lee Lee Edelman's whole other like gay castration complex about some. You know, like Hugh. Hugh knows all about castration complex, but there's also like the threat of the homosexual man is the revelation that one could both be like the penetrator and the penetrated. Is that what we're talking about? I, I went through the danger zone right into the danger zone. Like that's what, like it's this. But here's the other thing. Right like, the, into in, the danger zone. Right into the danger. Zone. But but like one of the things that immediately made me think, and this is absurd because it's just so glib and at the surface of things. But made me think of Lee Edelman is um, the future is coming and you're not in it, like the line that they say, <laughs> the line <laughs> that they say to Tom Cruise. The end is inevitable, Maverick. Your kind is headed for extinction. Maybe so, sir. But not today. The future's coming and you're not in it. In other words, like in the film's terms you're going to be replaced by drones. And so there's just no, like, we don't need pilots. Pilots are done. But also this kind of, like, anti-future stance that the film maybe is taking at this level of text or, or subtext. And let me just add one kind of piece of trivia here that uh, that completely underscores everything that you both are saying regarding the volleyball scene, which is, this comes straight from Internet Movie Database. Glenn Powell. That's a hangman. Hangman. Admitted that there was a healthy macho rivalry on set among the male actors to outdo each other's physiques in the shirtless beach volleyball sequence as there is a lot of posing and flexing involved in the scene. He said, quote, the amount of male anxiety around taking their shirts off, exclamation point. The gyms were packed day and night. It was a degree of insecurity that you have never seen ever. Like he he's making part of the film's publicity, something that would in the 80s quashed as, you know, 
too queer to say out loud yeah. and he's just saying it out loud and it's part of what makes the film cool and fun and, and great to watch yeah, yeah. which is great i mean i think again this is like what makes the film such a fun romp you well know? the ultimate humiliation um that uh hangman perpetrates against rooster is that when he comes into the bar he immediately goes over to the jukebox something young people know everything about and puts on fog hats slow ride Another dated music reference. Did you did you guys catch how um, when when he was when he was alerted to the fact that he he had a transfer uh, and he's going to be a teacher? How disgusted he was! <laughs> yes. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> it's, just... well, it's been a while since I've flown an F-18, and I'm not sure who I trust to fly the other three. But I'll find a way to make it work. I think you misunderstand, Captain. Sir, we don't want you to fly it. We want you to teach it. Teach, sir? With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a teacher. <laughs> just, I don't teach. I <laughs> like, fly. It was like It was like so, like, he was just absolutely just, his blood curdled at the idea of teaching. He thought that, you know, like, I, I love that. It reminded me of, of on, in On the Waterfront when uh, even Marie saying, and Edie Doyle says to Marlon Brando's character, um, it, it, Terry, he's, she says, we, we could move out into the country and you could farm or something like that. And he goes, farm? <laughs> like he just, he's like disgusted by the idea of agriculture. And, and it's like this right. thing about teaching. It's like gross. I don't want to teach. <laughs> just... Well, and the way they put it, it's like they, they preloaded this really snarky way to say it to him. Because what they say is, we don't want you to fly it. We want you teach to teach it. it. And he's like, teach. teach it. Oh. You want me to like read about it? Like, And then what does he do the first day? He, he throws, throws the, the book, book in the in garbage. The like, why That's was right. there even a They're in a hangar and there's like a table and, a, and a, an lectern and there happens to be a garbage can right there. He was probably like, hey, uh, um, just a hey, cyclone, whatever the guy's name is. Will you please uh, give, put a little wastebasket there just like for effect and like to throw the book away? It's exactly what you said, Soren. It's, it's like the physical manifestation of a verbal cliche. Yes. So there's this phrase called throw the book away. But nobody literally throws <laughs> Throws the fucking book away. Like, no, like it's what? not a PDF. It's like this like million page right. manual and, and right. just an eight and a half by eleven letter size paper that somebody had to. It's had like to run they off. printed out Wikipedia on paper yes, yes. and <laughs> put it between a cover. That, and that's what I'm talking about. That's the kind of stuff that we're, that I'm totally there for. And you just need to. I don't know. It's not even about like lowering your expectations when you go to see this kind of film. It's just sort of like rolling with the cartoonish wackiness of the whole thing. Mm. It's just great to see how you know to see how mad it would make people. I'd be happy if this won the Oscar. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be great. Oh, that'd be great. It's it would drama. be the, to, if this won the Oscar. It would be as great to me as the Departed the <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> Which yes. is the ultimate just yes. hilarious joke on everybody that it's, a movie that bad. Oh, we disagree. It's, no, we, no we, so, don't, we don't before. disagree. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's about the this. best bad film that ever was. Like best a, yeah, bad yeah, film it's the best ever. Bad made. Movie ever. Like I watch it every day. Yeah. But it is it's not it's not like a it's not some triumph of filmmaking. Just just Nicholson's accent alone is just kind of disqualifies it from being like a great movie. I mean, it's just horrendous. So you guys would RF you too? I, w- I would RF yeah, I would, you. I would definitely RF you. Yeah. All right. Triple threat. Thanks, Jasper. Thanks, Jasper. Thank you, Jasper. Recommended for you is a Clark University podcast. All opinions expressed are those of the faculty participants. If you'd like to recommend a film for an upcoming episode of RFU, email us at rfu at clarku.edu. That's rfu at clarku.edu. Or you can leave a voicemail with your suggestions at 508-798-4355. Thanks for listening. The Recommended for You podcast is produced by Andrew Hart for Clark University. Music by Jimmy Jackson. 
RFU logo by AJ Simmons. almost as though rope were wound by some malvoyant fairy as part no, of malevolent ah damn it malevolent <laughs> do i have a okay it's the post credits here <laughs> welcome to the post credit reel <laughs> There's no love and look in your eyes when I something your fingertips. There's no tenderness. I have. Now we're doing grease. That's how the song goes. Baby. Baby. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> no, I know it. All right. That's enough. Punch out. Punch out. Punch out. Eject. Eject. <laughs>